Um, I, I, I stink at sermon series titles. I usually think about the title way later. Um, <clears throat> but today we're beginning a series that's going to be pretty long. It might be most of the year. And, you know, a lot of times we start in a book and we go verse by verse all the way through the book or through a big chunk of the book. But we're not going to be doing that this year. Um, we're going to be zeroing in on a few different topics that are very important to our lives. Uh, you know, I, I almost want to call this series the other part of your Christian life. The other part of your Christian life. You know, we are Christians and there's no part of our life that is not touched by the word of God and his kingdom. He is Lord of all. And so he has something to say about everything, even the things that he does not specifically mention by name in the Bible. Like he doesn't talk about computers because there were none. But his word has something to say. There are implications from his word that affect every nook and cranny of our life. So for most of us, most, there are exceptions and you may be an exception. Our experience in church, there's a lot of teaching about things that we do as Christians. Prayer, ministry, how to study your Bible, doctrine, theology, how to transform a culture, how to overcome temptation, maybe sanctification, like, you know, just how to grow up in Christ, how to be a better Christian. You know, maybe like what's going to happen, you know, doctrine of the future, eschatology, what's going to happen in the end times. You know, those are the type of things that we often hear about most in church. But there's this whole other part of our lives that rarely gets addressed in church. What about the work that we do with our hands? Whether you're in sandblasting or sales, plumbing, painting, IT, art, film, teaching. What about that part of our Christian life? Because that, 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 that's, we're the people of God. So God has something to say about that. And, and you know, we're not all pastors. And, and is being a pastor more spiritual than being a painter? You know, we're going to have to... Ask that question, and we'll get to that later today. But, but what about the work we do with our hands? What about our vocation? What about our hobbies? You know, fishing isn't very spiritual, right? Shouldn't we be out passing tra- out tracks or something? Y- you know, we, we think like that sometimes. And I'm not promoting that thought, and, and you'll hear what I think about that thought in the weeks ahead. But what about our hobbies? What about art? You know, if, if it's all going to burn up anyway, which I don't think it is, then why in the world would we take time to make something beautiful? What about cleaning the house? What about rest? You know, y'all ever get tired? Y'all ever need a day to rest? What about economics? What about taxes? What about... Having a budget. What about saving? What about retirement? 
You know, these are all things that weigh heavy on our mind. Amen? Amen. If we are going to understand these parts of our life, then we need to dive deep into some of the things that we see that God establishes when He creates the world. There are some things that should be normal that are good that we see when God created the world. And, and, and those things should affect how we think about our vocation, our family, and all sorts of things. And so we're starting in Genesis 1 today. Next week we will finish Genesis 1. We're going to do verses 1 through 25 today. And next week we'll finish Genesis 1. And then we'll be in a lot of different places in the months ahead. But I want you to hear me say that Jesus is Lord of all. And therefore his kingdom is relevant to everything that we do. His kingdom is relevant to everything that we do. And the church is not to only be concerned about things that we believe are particularly sacred or spiritual and neglect things that we think are physical or secular, but we are to bring it all to Jesus and to make every realm of our life submissive to God's good, pleasing, and perfect desire, will, and command. And so I just made... Some false distinctions or dichotomies. You know, sacred and secular is one better than the other. Does that distinction, should it even exist? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, no, it all belongs to God. So sometimes you're going to hear me say, well, well, you'll get to the sermon. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. All right, so look at Genesis 1. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we usually do every week. I'll introduce the passage, which I just finished. Then I'll read the passage, y'all follow along with me, and then you get four or five minutes to read the passage to yourself. And everyone who knows how to read should be able to do this. So read the passage, get familiar with it, and there are some discussion questions in the center of our tables. Each table has a discussion leader, and so we will talk through the passage uh, after your five minutes are up, and um, you'll have the chance to ask your own questions and share your own observations And to get familiar with the text before we go back to the sanctuary for the sermon. All right. Genesis 1 verse 1. Follow along, please. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse. I'll just go ahead and tell you, expanse is sky. He's talking about the sky here. Um, So just a... Minimize confusion. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. 
And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit and which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. We're going to stop there. We have covered the creation of everything except for humans. We'll do that next week. So give yourself to the reading of these first 25 verses. And in a few minutes, your table leader will begin the discussion. All right, church, God has spoken to us in his word. Let us listen to what he has to say. Let's cover some basics of creation really quick. First off, you know, there's no competitors in this story that we read today. There's no competitors at the beginning. You know, we have evil in the world today. God has an enemy. He is the devil. We know him as Satan. He is real. He is alive. But the thing about him... There's a lot of things about him, but the thing I want to point out about him real quick right now is that he was created. He and God haven't been fighting against each other for all eternity. There's no competitors at the beginning of the story. We also see in Genesis 1 early seeds of a triune God, a God who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit and one God. We know also about creation 
Uh, it, it says it in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Okay, so everything in the earth, everything in all creation belongs to God. He has ownership or possession of it. We also see in Genesis 1 a distinction made between the Creator and the creation. There are many in our nation today, and there's major world religions built on the idea that the creation and the Creator are like kind of mixed all in, and we worship the creation, you know, as if it's the Creator, and there's a confusion between the Creator and the creation. But I tell you that the Creator and the creation are distinct from one another. We worship the Creator. We do not worship what God has made. But we also recognize that the triune God and the Son, who we call Jesus Christ, He entered into creation and took on flesh. It's a beautiful mystery that God became man, that the Creator became He came into His creation and and took on stuff and physical nature and molecules. He, He was made of all of those. And no other religion, no other faith claims to have a God who would be that involved in creation. So we worship the Creator and we do not worship the creation. So that is a biblical distinction you also probably hear me use the word dualism, you know, making, you know, separating something, separating a pie into two. And, and so there's a biblical dualism, there's a biblical distinction between the creator and the creation. Now, there's some false dualisms, there's some ways that we, and us, we do this today, I, I, I still realize ways that I do it sometimes, we insert... Unbiblical distinctions into God's creation sometimes. And we say, well, that thing's sacred and that thing's secular. Or that is spiritual and that is physical. And and some things, and, and there's an element of truth to those two things under very particular situations. But sometimes we act like, you know, what's physical can't be sacred. But because God became man... That which is spirit, that which is sacred, invaded the creation. And, and, and so I'm not going to unpack that too much now. But we got to realize there's a false dualism at times in our thinking between the physical and the spiritual and between the sacred and the secular. And, and this creation account that says creation is good undoes those unbiblical distinctions. All right. So a couple more notes, general notes about creation. I assume that it is most of our experience that when we think about Genesis 1, we think about the evolution debate. Well, this is the true story, but then, you know, they're teaching that other story in in school, right? And so I think it's been our experience that most of us think about it from that angle, like how dare Charles Darwin 
just like totally reject the biblical account of creation. And, and for some of us, that's as far as our, our, our thoughts go. But what we're going to do today and what we're going to do in the months ahead is we're going to go way beyond that. God didn't put this here just so you know that he made it and that's it. No, God put this here so we would know what normal is. What was God's plan? And you notice over and over again it says that it's good. But what is normal? What is normal? We know Genesis 3, sin comes in, jacks everything up. The, the creation comes under a curse. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, but like, what is God's original design for everything that you see? What is God's purpose for you and I? We have to go beyond just thinking about the evolution and creationist debate. And we have to look here for uh, what some people call creational norms. Routines that God has established in His creation. We also know, sometimes people say, well, how did God do this? How did God make things? What did he use to make this, all this stuff with? Where did he get his stuff? You know where he got his stuff? He spoke and it was. His creative word. That's where all the stuff came from. He didn't order it from Amazon. It didn't show up on his doorstep. He, he didn't... He didn't go and dig it up somewhere. He didn't need to borrow it. He didn't get a loan. God is no man's debtor. Everything that exists was in his mind. He spoke it, and it was. What power our creative God has. All right. So what did God make? We're going to run through the six days pretty quick. Day one, he made light. He made light. You know, first off, if you look back in verse 2, the creation was chaotic, empty, void. I looked in the Hebrew a little bit and it just had to do with a lot of confusion. A lot of confusion at first. But then God starts separating things. And the first day God separated the light from the darkness, he made night. I'm, I'm sorry. He made night and he made day. There was evening and there was morning. So this routine of sunlight, evening, nighttime, morning, daytime, starting all over again. God started it there on day one. Day two, God made the sky. And he put the sky between the water that was on the earth and the water that was in the clouds. We have evening and morning the second day. Day number three, God separated the water from the land. He separated the water from the land. He gathered the waters on the earth together and dry land appeared. God called the dry land earth and he called the waters the seas. God goes on that same third day to create vegetation. There would be incredible fruitfulness from which creation would receive nourishment. And there was evening and morning the third day. So these first three days with the exception of God creating plants on day three. With that exception, the first three days, God's just separating stuff. He's making clear borders. He's defining this and he's defining that. And he's defining the big stuff. He is bringing order 
to what had no form. He is organizing what was chaotic and confusing. And the work that he did these first three days brought form and organization to the creation. So there's now order, there's now structure. We've got night and day. We've got the heavens, we've got the sky, we've got the earth, we've got dry land, and we've got sea. So we get to day four, and here we get our calendar. All right, He puts the sun, the moon, the stars in the sky. God establishes time. The sun rules over the day, right? It's really hard to get away from the sun in the daytime. Even when it's overcast, even if there's a hurricane going over, there's still all kinds of light from the sun penetrating, lighting up the world, even though there's such thick darkness all around. And we have... A moon and stars that govern the night. You know, on day one, he separated the light and the darkness, right? And here on day four, he's filling it all up. We have evening and morning the fourth day. So we get to day five. You know, day one is connected to day four. Day two is connected to day five. And we're going to see day three connected to day six. But the connection between day two and day five is that God on day five, God fills the earth and the sky. Actually, he fills the water and the sky that he made. He fills up what he has made. We have the fish in the water. We've got the birds in the air. And we learn something about God's purpose for creation He wants something in it. And he wants things to be happening in it. So day five, he he blesses the fish. He blesses the birds. He tells them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We're going to see that again next week when it talks about people. And so day five is over. We have evening. We have morning, the fifth day. We get to day six. And here... You know, day three, he separated the water and the earth, right? Well, he already filled the water on day five. Well, here on day six, he fills up the land. It has vegetation. Well, now it has kitty cats, goats, and dinosaurs. He put the animals on the earth. So, these first 25 verses, and God has created everything except for mankind. All right, so, so, so that's a nice summary of our passage, right? But there's this big, giant thing that I haven't even brought up yet. Do you know what I'm missing? He said it was good. God said His creation is good. Look at verse 4. On day one, and, and grab Bibles. There's Bibles under most of the chairs. But day one, verse four, God saw that the light was good. He didn't mention anything about it being good on day two, which doesn't mean that it wasn't. (laughs) But day three, verse 10, God saw that it was good. The earth and the sea, that division between the earth and the sea. Day three, God saw that it was good, verse 10. On day three, after God makes the vegetation... What does God say in verse 12? God saw that it was what? Good. 
Day four, God makes the sun, moon, and stars. What does verse 18 say about all that? God saw that it was good. Day five, sea creatures and birds. You know, God's been on a roll. Why should we change anything, right? God saw it was good. Day six, land creatures. And God saw that it was good. Look ahead to verse 31, if you would. Look ahead to chapter 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. You all, God is a perfect creator. Amen? Amen. And all of His creation is very good. We're starting out pretty well, right? But we know what happens. He put us here, and we messed it all up. All right? We messed it up. God had a plan. He had a design. He said, do it this way, and we did it that way for a little bit. And then we were like, you know what, God? I like our plan better. I'm going to do it my way. And, you know, we can look at Adam and Eve and be like, man, I can't believe they did that. But we've done the same thing, right? Right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've rejected God's law. You've rejected his authority as king. You and I are all alike sinners before almighty God. And, and so, so we're in God's creation and now there's evil. Now there's evil. So is creation still good? That's right, Allie. <laughs> Creation is still good. Is there evil in it? Absolutely. Sometimes I tell people, you know what? I got a lot of good things going for me. And everything good that I have going for me is all because of Jesus. And all the stuff that ain't going good for me, that's my fault. Yep. Because I've messed something up. Because I did something outside of, of what God would command in His Word. I sought to be my own king instead of having God be king over me. So, and just as I would describe my life to someone, so that's an accurate account of, of creation. The rain that's falling down right now is good. It's a good thing. So while creation never sinned and we sinned, creation was affected by the consequences of our sin. We live in creation. We brought our own sin into it. And creation, the physical world, the material stuff, the molecules... And that piece of wood are under the curse because of our sin. But the world itself, the physical stuff, is not guilty of sin as we are. We are born with a sin nature and we are by nature evil. But the physical world that God has made is not evil. Now... There, there's some in our world today in the church that get this wrong. 
And over many years, particularly the first few centuries of the church, you know, shortly after Jesus and the apostles died, or were no longer with us, that is, um, you know, that, that there was a lot of confusion about this matter. So turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you would. I don't think I have any plan to go back to Genesis 1, but 1 Timothy 4. It's uh, if you're using a blue Bible, it's page one thousand ninety-five. I'm telling you, creation is good after this, after sin. But how do I know that? I know that because that's what the Apostle Paul teaches, and I want to show that to you today. First Timothy chapter four, verse four. First Timothy four, verse four. Some people are like, "How do I find such a small book?" All the, in the New Testament, all the T's are together. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. So just remember that. If you see, if you see a book that starts with a T, know that you, and it's not Timothy, it's really close. So you got 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then Titus. All the T's are together. And 1 Timothy's right in the middle. All right, so 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. How do I know the physical creation is still good? I know this because Paul taught it to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, for everything created by God is good. Stop there. That's true stuff, y'all. Everything created by God is good. Even after we brought such evil into the world. So let's, after that first you know, phrase there in verse 4. Paul immediately begins unpacking what that means. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So, Paul was writing to Timothy. Paul was an apostle. Timothy was like a junior apostle. He was helping Paul with ministry over a large geographic area. Timothy was very much a young pastor, and he was just assisting Paul with his work. Paul was writing to a specific situation. He was writing to a specific situation that he knew Timothy was dealing with. And so... If you look in the verses prior to it, we see that people were forbidding marriage. People were forbidding marriage. Do you see that in verse 3? They were forbidding marriage. And it goes on to say that they were requiring abstinence from particular foods. Okay, so you can have this, but you can't eat that. Now, we know Old Testament laws, they had rules about clean animals and some were clean and appropriate to eat and some were not. But by this time, God had already told Peter, rise up and kill that thing and make some bacon. And all foods were made clean at that time. But they were saying in, in Paul and Timothy's day, some of these things were appropriate to eat and some were not. But Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, that everything created by God 
is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. There was a movement in Paul and Timothy's day that eventually became known as something called Gnosticism. Everyone say that word with me. Gnosticism. And it, it, it was in the church and there was some confusion about it. And there's, there's st- it's still in the church today. We don't call it that and we don't even realize it's, it's, it, it's in us and with us and affecting how we think. But hopefully by the end of the year we'll, we'll realize more about that. But Gnosticism eventually came to proclaim that everything that was spiritual was good and everything that was physical was evil. And the way that you were saved, the way that you got to God would be to escape your body and be pure spirit and leave the physical world behind. Now that was a very damaging teaching to Christianity. It was very opposed to Christianity because God had become flesh and he was the king and he was the savior of the world. Amen? Amen. So, so, so these two ideas that all physical matter is evil and, and Jesus became man... Those two things could not coexist together. But Gnosticism, you know, we we see in verse 3, people were forbidding marriage. The whole idea was that sex is bad. If it feels good, if you get some type of comfort or pleasure derived from that activity, you should deny yourself that because it's wrong to feel good because of something that's physical. Same way with the eating of foods. If you eat that brownie over there and you enjoy it, you're having physical delight and pleasure in something. And therefore, that matters evil, so you're evil. So you got to stay away from it so that you can be good. Does that make sense? But in verse 3, Paul tells Timothy, God created these foods to be received with thanksgiving. By those who believe and know the truth. So those are the people of God. When we eat, we say, thank you, God. We eat and we enjoy this food and we're doing it with thanksgiving. See, appropriate delight in God's creation is always good. Appropriate enjoyment of a sunset or a Sunday morning brunch. Or your spouse who looks great. Or that really super cute kid over there. Or a room filled with art that's just beautiful. You can take delight in that. And honor and glorify God. Appropriate joy in God's creation is always holy. Now inappropriate joy in God's creation is not holy. You can look at that person with lust in your heart. That is not holy. Instead of eating one piece of steak, you could eat nine. That is not holy. That's called gluttony. Okay? So we are to have an appropriate relationship with creation, and we are to reject an inappropriate relationship with the things that God has created. It's all good. Lifting your hands as you sing in Christ alone is a good God-glorifying activity. And cleaning whatever part of your house you spent yesterday cleaning is a God-glorifying activity as well. 
God's creation is good. Yesterday was just a, a beautiful day, wasn't it? And early this morning, I was thinking about yesterday in regards to this. Yeah, it was like a spring day, first and foremost, you know, and that was just nice. You know, we got a big yard, we got a big property. I think everyone here knows that. Um, you know, there's always way more things to take care of than what we have time to take care of. But, you know, I woke up, went outside, did my normal routine, came inside, we had breakfast, hung out a little bit, kids are playing, I go back outside, I do some work on a driveway, I filled in some pig ruts, I went inside, I did some dishes, I... I Actually pulled out my trimmer, trimmed up some areas just to make it look nice, just to make it look beautiful. We got a little cheap electric pressure washer. Even my youngest was on that thing. You know, you know, doesn't have a big engine or anything, and it's you know, it doesn't have much power at all. But I think five out of nine of us were on that thing yesterday, and so we cleaned up this area, we cleaned up that area, we just kind of made things pretty, right? All day long, I was managing physical stuff. I was managing and caring for God's good creation. It was appropriate joy in God's creation. I mean, it really, it was the funnest stuff for me because I like things to look nice. And when things aren't being kept up with, it makes me a little crazy inside. So I got to do work in God's creation that I really, really enjoyed yesterday. Men, you mow your lawn and you're, you're just like, you know, you're done. And the sun's going down and you take one last look at it before going out of the house. It's like, man... This yard is just perfect. You know, it's that kind of feeling, that appropriate delight in God's creation. But then, so I, I, we went in the house, and, and, and in the evening, I got a shower, I got washed up. Jennifer makes a great soup. And, and, you know, while the soup's going, you know, there's a little bit to do in the kitchen, so a couple of us are doing that. But, but we started singing to the Lord while we were doing our work. It was awesome. It was fun, and the kids initiated. I'm... You know, it's just, it's becoming a regular routine at the house. And so we were just singing to the Lord and having a great time. There's a book we're reading, uh, particularly for our children, by uh, my friend Scott Brown. Um, I've referenced him way too much, but a uh, great guy. And he, um, but the book is on what the Bible teaches about womanhood or biblical femininity. It's opposite of the feminism that's tearing apart our culture. But... What did God design women to be like? And what is their role? So we're reading that to our kids right now. We want our boys and our girls to hear that. So, so we're actively instructing our children in the ways of God by reading this book by someone else who knows way more than me and Jen. And so then we sit down and we eat. Two big bowls of hot soup. Man, I'm done. It's 7.30 and I'm looking forward to getting in bed because I'm going to get up early Sunday morning. So that was my day yesterday. You know, I am absolutely convinced that I honored God as much as I did when I was working on that driveway as, as we did when we were singing to the Lord last night. All of life is worship. And just because a physical activity is different maybe from what we're doing in this gathering this morning as we sing to the Lord, as we pray, as we turn our thoughts on God... All of it is for God. Every bit of it is for God. God never once gives any indication that we should just 
reject His creation because it's physical and not spiritual. Never once. But the Bible actually says the exact opposite of that. I think about the week ahead. I've got a business to run. I've got meat to process. I've got a sermon to write. I have pastoral care to provide. And I I, I look at these things that God has given me to do. And it is all good and holy work. Some would say that spirit is good and matter is evil. Be as spiritual as you can be. Flee this world as much as you can. Have as little to do with the physical world as you can. And you can glorify God more in a one-hour quiet time than if you spend time playing with your kids or repairing your driveway. The Bible rejects that way of thinking. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul warns Timothy of people who deny creation's goodness. Look at that. Look at verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Paul warns Timothy of people who deny creation's goodness. And he says some of them will leave the faith. They will follow deceitful spirits and demons. Do you see that? They forbid marriage. They require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Verse 4, nothing is to be rejected. You all, we have to, if we're going to understand how to work and make money to support our family, if we're going to understand how to maintain a household or how to serve our neighbor, we need to reject the false distinction between matter and spirit that some of us have inside of us. Paul would go on, if you look in 1 Timothy 6, Paul would go on to tell Timothy to warn those who are rich in the present age to not be arrogant or to set their hope on their riches, but to set their hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Paul tells rich people, don't set your hope on all your stuff. Have a, this is like verse, 1 Timothy 6, 10 through 18. I'm summarizing. Have your stuff. Have an appropriate relationship with it. Enjoy it. But don't worship it. Don't worship it. Now, how do you know if you're worshiping it or not? That's beyond the scope of what I'm able to share today. Church, sometimes we feel bad because we need to rest. Sometimes we might want to spend 16 bucks a pound on a really good piece of meat just to enjoy it. But there's this idea, you know what, I could send that money to the mission field and they'd do better. You know? You know there, there's a room for thinking like that. There's a place for thinking like that, Yeah. But reject that guilt. Enjoy. Appropriately enjoy creation. Don't feel bad about going on a vacation. Enjoy it while you're gone. Don't beat yourself up because you're not at home getting stuff done. And you know what? When you get back next week, 
Be content. Don't hate yourself at work because you were hating yourself when you were on vacation because you thought you should be working. All of these activities in God's creation are things that He has given us to enjoy. God took joy in the world He has made. We're going to see that when we get to the beginning of Genesis 2 and look at Sabbath, rest. But God took joy in the world that He has made and we are in His image and we are to take joy in it also. And keep in mind, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul says to these same rich people who he's telling to enjoy their stuff, he says to them, the love of money is the root of all evil. He doesn't say money is the root of all evil. See, evil is not in the stuff, but evil is in us and how we relate to the stuff. So, don't reject the stuff thinking that you're going to be okay if you reject the stuff. But watch and guard your own heart and make sure you have the right relationship with the stuff. God never calls us to reject the physical world, but he calls us to turn from sin and to live righteously in the physical world. So in Colossians chapter 2, and I'm almost done, in Colossians chapter 2, there was a real struggle with this idea going on also. And Paul tells them, it's like the second half of the chapter. He says, don't think that your righteousness exists or originates from abstaining from the good things that God gives you. Don't think that if you, you know, become a eunuch, if you decide to live in poverty, you take a vow of poverty your whole life. Don't look at those extreme things and think that that person's righteousness exists in that way of life. Don't let, Paul would go on to say in Colossians 2.8, don't let anyone take you captive by human traditions that are not from Christ. In Colossians 2.18, he says, don't submit to a false asceticism that says don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. If you reject all these things, you'll be more righteous. Now it does say don't be addicted to alcohol. It does say don't be a drunk. It does say have self-control. So there are rules about things, but what we have to know is that we aren't more holy than someone else or more pleasing and honoring to God just because we stay away from something that they don't stay away from when God has given us both freedom to do it. So don't give yourself to a legalistic framework where you're better or more righteous than the other person because of how you eat or how you spend your money. God rejects that as self-righteousness and as works righteousness. And that is opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is all of our righteousness. See, rules like don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, they seem wise for the one who wants self-made religion. But for the one who seeks to obtain righteousness, it only comes from Jesus. And if God has said that his stuff is good, then why should we say the opposite? Next week and in the weeks ahead, we're going to be looking a lot at our work and what we do to bring in income. And as we do that, I want you to realize 
that those things that you handle in your job are God's good creation. And it is His plan for you to handle that stuff and to make the world a better place with it. So, what do I want you to do? What should we do in response to this message that God is good and that everything should be received with thanksgiving? What should we do? First, reject the false distinctions that are out there. The distinction between the sacred and the secular. The distinction between matter and physical. There is a distinction that exists. I'm sorry, between matter, between the physical and the spiritual. Yeah, some things are physical or some things are spiritual that are not physical. Yeah, but, but don't completely isolate them or separate them. These are unbiblical distinctions. But we need to recognize true distinctions. We need to recognize the distinction between the creator and creation. And we need to recognize the distinction between sin and righteousness. Secondly, this week, in everything you do, take joy in it, church. Take joy in it. You cutting your kid's hair? It's hard. Wormy, squirmy, right? At least at our house. Some of them. Take joy in it. Fixing your truck. Prepping your garden. The good stuff, the easy stuff, the fun stuff, the hard stuff. Church, take joy in it. Romans 11.36, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Including every single task that is before you in the week ahead. Church, take joy in your work. Take joy in God's creation. Love every minute of it. Third thing I want you to do. No, fourth thing. If you, I, I'm confused. <laughs> All right. If you are a Christian, bring every part of your life into submission to Christ. If you're not a Christian, you need to become one. Quit trying to be better than the other guy and realize that you are hopelessly lost in your sin. And that God is holy and you are not. And realize and recognize and embrace, believe the truth of the gospel. That Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. The world belongs to him. He has a plan for it. He is making all things new. He is redeeming creation. We saw that in our catechism question last week. He is redeeming all of creation. Don't miss out on that if you're here today and you're not a Christian. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ that He lived, He died, He rose again. And anyone who believes in Christ, anyone who comes to Him in repentance will be saved. We are imperfect people. God loves us enough to accept us as we are. And He loves us enough not to let us stay that way.
but He molds us and He shapes us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to ask you, come to Jesus, say, yes, Lord. He will save. He will change. He will transform you. And then you can get in on this good plan of God that He has for you and all of His creation. Let's pray. Let's take a minute or two in silence. God has spoken in His Word. Now let us speak to Him in prayer. Talk to Him. Tell Him what's on your mind. He's listening to you. about what we do with our lives every single day. God, we don't just pray that we can transform our community with the gospel, but we, we, we pray that and so much more. God, we pray that our homes would, would reflect what we see in Genesis 1. God, I pray that our attitude about our labor and the things that we do every day, I pray that it would reflect the goodness of your creation. Father God, I pray for those that aren't here today. We pray incredible blessings upon them. Lord, I pray that you may be speaking to them, reminding them of your truth, and bringing them back to us again very soon. We pray that they may have joy and peace in you in the week ahead. Father, I pray that we would be faithful in making disciples here at Hope Fellowship. I pray that we could, would use your law and your gospel to make new disciples. God, I pray that we would make stronger disciples. And Father, concerning our upcoming relocation, we say thank you for this facility that you've given us to meet in for about the past 20 years. It has been a great and good little piece of your creation, but we know there is a great and good piece of your creation somewhere else for us. So we look to you and we wait for you. God, give us what you want. Lord, we ask, I ask especially, Lord, I don't know that we all feel this way, but I know I, I feel this way. Lord, I'm asking you for the old family food building across the street from the bank right down the road. But God, we acknowledge your good and wise and sovereign providence. Place us where you'd like us to be. Not our will, but yours be done. And God, I pray that we would dwell together in unity during this time of transition. Pray, oh God, that our love for you and our love for one another would increase in the season that's ahead. Now, church, let's pray as Christ has taught his disciples to pray. Lift your voice. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus followed his Father's perfect plan. He gave himself up for the sin of man. His body was broken on that tree. And his blood was poured out all over that city. This really happened. Jesus really did live. He really did die. And he really did do it for all who would come to him. Church, we come to this table again today to receive 